0: Thank you for listening to the Around the Net Post tennis podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Welcome back. Happy Valentine's Day Around the Net posters to another episode of Around the Net Post. I'm joined by the best co-host in tennis podcasting, Jacob Andrus, as well as another special guest uh, interviewing for the role of a third co-host
1: is chip more welcome back chip any any valentine's day plans for for either of you uh that answer is a no all right i feel like i know jacob's answer as well
2: uh actually it's technically yes i got some uh potential pickleball later so you know it's
1: well i mean mean, i'm I'm playing tennis later but it's not exactly romantic (laughs) it can be that depends on your spin of it georgie what about you buddy you got your first valentine's day as a married man it is well we're going
0: out for dinner this weekend to a nice spot that i've made a reservation at and tonight we'll be ordering a pizza and having a picnic on the front porch
1: oh fantastic that sounds, that it sounds is.
0: very
1: nice actually
0: yeah it's very romantic um and we will share the love as as promised on around a net post um the first 10 followers of our brand new instagram account we're up to almost 100 followers in a week, so we're doing well, guys. Um, okay, so the first 10 Instagram followers of our page uh, was Teddy Tennis HQ. Thank you to Teddy Tennis uh, for the fir- being the first follower of the page, I think, other than myself, and I don't really count. Alex Turner, also known as Turbo, was the, the second. Pinpoint Tennis Team, Jacob Hawke, McKenna DeLong, Elsa Johnson, Jem Ortel, Bailey Horn, Alex Crabtree, and Jay Rowe. So thank you guys for being the first 10. Uh feel free to interact with the page, give us a shout out, uh tag us in posts and tell us how much you, you love us. That would be much appreciated. But enough of the small talk. Let's let's get into um into the tennis news. Um and Chip no pressure here, but no uh, you know this is your interview for for the full-time position. All right, enough enough with the interview <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's start with Rafa pulling out. I think that's going to be uh, hot in your mind.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's unfortunate I think for me, I've gotten to the point as a fan now where I'm almost sick of watching like the, like the lead up, like training videos, like, Ooh, Rafa's training. It's like, I'm at the point now where it's like, I just want to see him play to be honest. And it's like, is he going to play? Is he not? But at the same time, I do understand the decision. I think he's just trying to put all of his eggs in his basket to play the French open and be at his best for that. And just really, really doesn't want to take a risk. But, yeah, Jake, what do you what do you think about it? I, I, to me it was a, a no brain he was never going to play that
0: that tournament in my opinion. Yeah, I was in the same position as you. I I didn't
2: even know he was signed up for Doha until somebody mentioned it recently and then I still didn't think much of him actually playing because it doesn't I don't see how it helps him prepare for the French Open. And at the same time, if he's going to play anything before the French Open, it would either be Indian Wells or Miami. So I didn't I didn't see much, uh,
0: much use for him to be in that tournament. Do you think it's a marketing scam like where they, I guess, get him to sign up theoretically and then people buy the tickets regardless of whether he plays or not? And then, you know, he pulls out. It's still beneficial for the tournament because they've already they got the press that, you know, that's his next event, whether it comes to fruition or not.
2: Yeah, I think that would be a little a little bit dubious if that's what they were doing. Um, I feel like they wouldn't deliberately market it that way, but you never know. I mean, it would be a definite draw for a lot of people, you know, to see Rafa and his last year that's going to pull in a lot of potential customers just by, you know, word of mouth that Rafa's coming to town. And, you know, maybe they'll refund their tickets, but at the same time, I'm sure some people aren't going to bother to do that. So...
1: It was Rafa, I thought. I thought Rafa was going to play the tournament because of that like deal he just signed with in Saudi Arabia. Did you hear about that?
0: Yeah, he's the ambassador now for Saudi tennis. Well, I just
1: tournament. thought maybe he was going to the Middle East because you know they wanted to play that tournament, the Saudi guys. If he hasn't played a clay court match in almost a year and a half. But he, did, he used to pulled like that out, swing. it's probably the right decision.
0: He used to like that uh, South American swing quite a bit. So I was a little bit, well, actually, when I think about it, it probably wasn't with the money involved. They're probably paying him some huge appearance fee or they would have done if it would played. What do, you, what do you guys think? It's kind of a weird time of year where they have three different swings going on at the same time. You know, they're starting, you know, they had a couple of tournaments in France. Now they're in Rotterdam for the, you know, the indoor European swing. And, you know, started last week in Cordoba. They're doing the outdoor South American clay swing and also the you know North American indoor hard series. So it's quite, you know, quite a selection of tournaments to, to play. But what do you think of having these swings all at the same time? I think it's it's
2: good for, you know, the lower ranked ATP players to get a chance to get into tournaments that they they might not qualify for if you had only one or maybe two of the same tournaments. You know, if you're ranked in the the 70s, you, you know, pretty good chance to get in. But if you're ranked around 100, 125, like those guys could be getting direct entry into a, a 250 like this. So that, that benefits them a bit. But as a as a tournament viewer, I think it, it waters down the quality just a little bit. Got Alcaraz playing, I think in South America.
0: Yeah, uh, Buenos Aires in Buenos Argentina. Aires.
2: Yeah, I don't know who else is in that draw with him. That,
0: uh, Cam Nor is the second seed, if that gives some context. Excuse okay. Cam Nor, even in the top 20 anymore? Uh, I think if he loses this week, he'll be out of the top 20. Gotcha. So, yeah, I think it, it just waters
2: it down a little bit, which is – Better for the lower players, but worse for the the
0: ATP viewers. Talking of Cam nori he has a big swing. He lost to Alcaraz in the final of Buenos Aires last year and then beat him in the final of Rio de Janeiro, I believe.
1: Yeah. Or he, I would say those are probably the only two tournaments that Nori actually played well in last year. So,
0: Yeah, if he loses some points there, he's going to be in some big trouble ranking-wise. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. I thought this was, was kind of weird. The indoor European swing, right, they just play with it in the pitch black, it looks like. But then you, in Dallas, it's, you know, in an aircraft hangar with all the lights on. I just thought it was like weird, like why do the Europeans insist on playing in the pitch black.
2: They've got the, the blackout curtains up. It looks like they're in a, a movie theater or something, trying to keep it as dark as possible. And then, as you said, in Dallas, they're, the lights are all, everything just looks washed out. If you're looking at Highlight event, Tournament, just, it's so bright in there compared to the the rotterdam tournament
1: it give me a headache playing in the it lights it was funny in uh in turin when they had the world tour finals when when center would play and they had basically the pitch black background the only people you could see in the crowd were the corona boys because they were dressed in all orange it's like
0: for, I for people were, who don't know who they are they're the guys that dressed as carrots all last year and followed yannick Sinner around
1: all year well, throwback, James Blake had the uh, the J block. Uh, yeah, so back in the day, James Blake, who was a former top five player, um, definitely a throwback, had had his own crew that was called the J block, and they would follow him to every single tournament. J block sounds like a section of a prison or something like that.
0: Well, it's good to see Alcaraz back, and Sinners, like after last week, had a bit of a break from the top players in action. It's good to see, that, see those guys back. What are you What are your predictions for those
1: players this week? I think Sinner is definitely still riding a wave of confidence. I mean, I think Sinner goes into a tournament like Rotterdam feeling absolutely no pressure whatsoever, whether he wins it or whether he loses it. I mean, I feel like now until maybe even the French Open or Wimbledon, he's he's really going to feel like everything that he does is a bonus, in my opinion. I think Alcaraz is probably the guy with more to prove, and and maybe not to the fans, but he's got to prove to himself that he can play at the level that he played at pre-Wimbledon and up to Wimbledon. I mean, he he just, he hasn't been, you know, in spurts, he's been a great player, but he hasn't been dominant the way he was dominant at Wimbledon, the way he was dominant at Indian Wells, the way he was dominant at Madrid last year. I mean, what I uh, what I see from Alcaraz a lot, he loses focus out there sometimes. You know, he'll be playing a rally, and maybe he just doesn't have the rally tolerance that that maybe he had before, or or I don't know. But he just, sometimes he just doesn't look quite as engaged as he used to on the court. I also think that at the tournament and the draw that he's at, Buenos
0: Aires, looking at that, he needs to be dominant. Really, again, it's a tournament that he should be dominant at. So, you know, in a week's time, will be pretty interesting to see how how things pan out. I, w- I will say that an early loss for him in this tournament is, is is pretty much worst case scenario for for him. And maybe then he needs to start. I don't know. Do you, you know, a lot of, there's been some coaching changes already. Do you do you look at bringing someone else on? And keeping Ferreira, but also ha- they bring someone on so you have a team or duo, duo, that seems to be a trend that, that is developing around top players. Yeah, I think – I mean, he's in a good spot still, you
2: know, top three in the world. Um, he's had, a like, a rough stretch by his standards in the last nine months, but I don't think he's in the position where he needs to start changing stuff. I think, kind of going off of what Chip said a minute ago, how he seems to be losing focus. I, I remember an interview he did at the Australian Open where – he was, I think, he was talking to Jim Courier, and he said that sometimes he just wants to play shots that entertain the crowd, even if it's the wrong shot to play. And I feel like that can set, you know, kind of creep into his game at points where, you know, he just goes for a huge forehand winner on the run down the line at 30 all in a game when he's serving. And now he's down break point, and you know, most times he can get back out of that with another good shot, but there there are times where he you know misses the next ball, so he's down a break. But uh, you don't really see or haven't really seen the top guys like Novak, Rafa, Fed, really hit the wrong shot at the wrong time. Like, every once in a while, maybe they get a little tight and maybe hit a drop shot at the 30-all point when they shouldn't have. But they're not really, you know, going for the show-off shots on a big point at any situation. So I think that's something that he kind of needs to, maybe not necessarily fully remove from his game, but kind of figure out when to use it more sparingly versus, you know, and you kind of see it a lot throughout his matches, you know, just – high level shot making. But if he's not on that day, then his level is a little bit lower than it could be.
0: I think it's a refreshing perspective, though, that he's actually open about having that attitude. I think it it it's all, it it's makes me a little bit sad when you hear players, you know, another day in the job and they treat it like a job because, that, you know, it, it is to many players that aren't making, you know, millions of dollars like the top players do but it's good to go out there and have fun and, and have a bit more of a Monfils or a curious attitude. And he, he's young, so he's going to learn how to tame that and make it part of his game where he can do it, you know, day in, day out for 45 weeks of the year.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say if you asked Rafa, you know, Novak or, you know, Federer, if they ever played one shot in their career that panders to the crowd, they'd probably say no. And, um, the tweener.
0: Yeah, so got to throw the tweener in there. That's always been a shot like that.
1: Well, I mean, when Roger hit that tweener, he he won that point against Novak. I'm sure Jacob doesn't want me to bring that up. That
2: was a, that was a great shot.
1: You know, it's no, still. But, but I'm just saying, I think, yeah, I, I think he does have to find a balance with it, um, and if he doesn't, he's gonna suffer.
0: Yeah. But then this is what these tournaments are. That you know, this stretch in the schedule is where players who had disappointing or didn't do as well as they wanted to do in the Australian Open, can rebuild the confidence ready for, you know, basically as soon as you hit Indian Wells you are just going Masters 1000s pretty much all the way into the French this is, you know, it's almost like the the runway before the season really takes off in my opinion so this is, you know, where to get the that confidence before you start playing the meaningful matches Sure Yeah, I would agree with that and another top player that is in action, well, he's in action pretty much every week, is Holger Rune. So there's been... It's a character already with him. It seems like a bit of a circus in his camp. He d- he did get the win against uh, Roman Seth Whelan uh, in, in Rotterdam. But, you know, he, he pulled out of the UTS, I think, with sickness. Had another injury before, but still plays week in, week out. What are your initial thoughts on on his start to the season?
2: Uh, I would say that it's been a really rocky road early on here, kind of continuing off of, you know, some of the the tournaments he had last year. He had some bright spots, but also definitely more negatives in the last six months, nine months, I would say. Um, And you can really just kind of see it in the coaching carousel that's been going on for these last several months. People like Federer's old coach, Severin Lutie, was there for maybe a month before they parted ways Doing like, they said it was for scheduling issues, um, which may have been the case, but that was a pretty short partnership there.
0: Um, He doesn't want to work every single week.
2: (laughs) Right, right. And then uh, the split between them and Boris Becker recently happened, and I feel like he's just, you know, bringing on coaches, splitting with coaches. And it's not, it's not good for his long-term development because it's not going to, you know, bring him any consistency. And from what we've kind of seen over the last 10 to 20 years with professional tennis is the more consistent you are in both your preparation and, you know, almost like your team makeup with, you know, a lot of these former top players have had the same coaches or trainers since they were maybe 20 years old or 25 years old. Maybe they occasionally make a big change, but for the most part, it's a it's a multi-year process with a lot of them. So I don't think that's a a great sign for Holger Rune here early in his career.
0: Yeah, he had that whole thing last year when he hired Moritoglu to come on, split with him two weeks later, then midway through a tournament was back working with him. So he's in a bit of a shambles. Chip, what are your thoughts?
1: The, the last part Jacob said kind of took the words right out of my mouth. If you look if you look at all, kind of all almost every single Grand Slam champion, I mean Dominic Thiem, Stan Wawrinka, you know even players like that, rather than just Rafa, Novak, and Federer, every single one of them has had at least one guy kind of in their team for uh, at least like a five-year stretch. I mean, team team had a different coach. He he left uh, Gunter Bresnik, but you know he had Gunter Bresnik for like I mean that was his coach since he was like 14. For like ten years, and then when he had Masu, I mean, he kept him around for four years. And I, I feel like the coaches that or the players that kind of have the coaching carousel, um they don't do as well. Like, like for example, Zverev. I mean, there was a point, uh, really around the same time Holger Rune is at now, where Zverev had like a different coach almost every single week. And I most people said, or most of the coaches kind of alluded to the fact that uh, Zverev's dad didn't really allow allowed the other coaches to have as much input as they wanted. Do you think that's the
0: same with uh, Rune's mother?
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I was actually getting to there. I feel like a lot of the players that have like the, like the dominant, you know, know know-it-all parent, um, sometimes they struggle and, you know, it's, I mean, look at, look at Sitspass. I mean, how many, I mean, that people have talked about that, like a broken record. And, you know, he had Filipousis, what he was, Filipousis was head coach for like a week last year and, he split, and it, I, I just, yeah, it, it goes back to what Jacob said. Just, like, if you can't find consistency with your coaching, you're going to struggle And
0: Yeah, you see that in all sports, too, like football clubs, soccer clubs that have the same manager for, you know, 10 years. For example, Man City with Pep Guardiola, Liverpool with Jürgen Klopp, uh, Patriots with Belichick and Brady. They had consistency, so they were successful. It, it just seems like that's a common theme in sports that you know you have someone that's a good mentor good guidance someone leading the team then you're setting yourself up for success but but what age do you think a a tennis parent in particular needs to step back and say actually this is your time to take control of your career and i'm not going to dictate it anymore i would
2: say if,
0: if you have if i were a
2: professional tennis player by the time i'm you know a couple years on tour let's say i went on tour at 20 years old or 19 years old now i'm 21 22. i think by that point the player has had enough experience to kind of you know have a feel for the tour and not necessarily need to have you know the manager be the ones making the decisions
1: well i mean if look at uh you know look at sinner and alcaraz i mean um carlos alcaraz's dad i'd like when carlos was like 14 gave him to juan carlos ferrero and was basically like hey like if I want my son to be the player that he needs to be, like I cannot be the tennis guy in his life. It was, it was Ferrero. It was, uh, and then, and then also, you remember that interview that Sinner gave after one of his matches about his parents. Yeah, I remember, remember that.
2: After he won the Australian Open, when it was
1: about yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's basically like the best thing that my parents did for me was let me choose what I wanted to do, and they didn't force me to do anything, and they didn't make any decisions for me. So I feel like. I feel like honestly, as far as the independence and making decisions, it almost has to start right off the bat, like right when their career is starting. You know, changing changing
0: gears here. We'll have Cory Simon on next episode. Um, what, what are you, you may be excited for? For Corey to come on, I've, I haven't seen him in a while, and um, his season's going well, so I think he'll be in good spirits and uh, ready to to talk. And we, maybe we can learn something.
2: Yeah, definitely interested to see what. Uh, what's been going on with him i know you've uh been in touch with him more recently i've never really you know known him super well we're from the same state but like lived in five hours away and i think he's three or four years younger than me so not much of a previous relationship there
0: yeah i I forget that chip you've you've, uh you've not met coy before so no he's a he's a great guy and um yeah he'll be a, a valuable asset to the to the pod before, before we leave uh, we'll do we'll, we'll have a word for 30 30 tennis but chip you had a, an interesting story from one of your matches this week do you want to share that with us
1: So so this this is probably what wanted you can tell he was sat up in his chair he was eager to go <laughs> this is this is one of the wildest stories I've, I've, you, you guys are ever gonna hear in your entire this lives. is the moment I get the job um you guys have put a lot of pressure on me today um <laughs> anyways so we we play uh, obviously indoors right now because it's like 25 degrees Fahrenheit and here in uh, Connecticut. So we went up to Massachusetts to play at like a, basically like a, like a local YMCA because because the the school we were playing at didn't have their own courts. Um, so this YMCA facility is like a four core facility, and we started playing the match at two o'clock. And so long story short, it's three all match score it's our my guy is up a break in the third set 3-1 and the owner of this the owner of the facility comes onto the court and is like we're closing the facility <laughs> i'm turning the lights off right now he turns the lights off and because the match had to finish the team we were playing had to forfeit and we won the match and the craziest thing about this match it's a conference match. So basically we're playing a team that's very similar to our level. So basically imagine Belmont playing limestone in 2019 at Limestone's facility. It's nighttime. Limestone's lights turn off and because of that they had to forfeit and we win the match.
0: Did you celebrate? Did you get did you do the classic chip down on two knees fist pump celebration?
1: <sighs> so I didn't celebrate, but um our guys did. They they went nuts when this happened. I love this. I mean it was it, it's a big rivalry and and the, the opposing coach got so mad that he tried to like get in the middle of the like our little huddle because we were getting fired up and like pick it up. And he's like, What are you guys doing? This is that's so bad. That's such bad character. And meanwhile, I'm just telling the guys, I'm like, load up the bus as fast as you can so he doesn't find another place to play. Let's get <laughs> out of here with the win. How much did you pay the guy?
0: Ever. How much did you pay the YMC owner to close the facility early?
1: Dude, so I mean I didn't even pay him. So I'm I'm uh, we like ordered uh, food to the facility because we were gonna eat there. We didn't realize it was closed. And he comes up to me like 20 minutes before all this happened. He's like, uh, "You know we're closing in like 20 minutes, right?" I'm like, "My guy's about to lose the, the second set. He's the he's the last match on. This match has at least an hour left." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah, no, like this facility's closing. Like you guys are gonna have to leave." I'm like. Like we have to finish the match. It's literally a conference match. We're playing like, like this. This could determine whether we have home court advantage because the first, the first match in our quarterfinals gets home court advantage in the playoffs. Yeah, we did that. Match. What's and the guys like no like, like there's literally nothing you can do. I'm, I'm convinced it was this is on Sunday. I'm convinced the guy just really wanted to watch the Super Bowl. It just absolutely, really, absolutely.
0: He this, really is, didn't this is this is D1 tennis, match. folks. Like, That's the crazy thing. This isn't even like you know backwards d2 like you know in the middle of no, you know, I mean, north dakota this is, dakota. This,
1: is... I mean, this is this is the highest level of, of levels here <laughs> <laughs> you have the highest level, of level but it's still i mean it's a conference match it's like that. it's not even like to reschedule it the team we're playing is like four hours away it's not like we're going to drive back tomorrow and play like three games like
0: what's that if you're okay buying off facility owners to get to get dubs i fully respect that
1: I did feel bad for their coach, in all honesty. Like that really stunk for him, because he's got to be feeling. I've got to be like he's got to feel like he really let his team down there. That's you right. What I'm saying? So, so Andy G was meant to come on tonight
0: and uh, you know give us a you know some lessons, some lessons learned from his career. Andrew Scollandano, uh, we're working on getting him back another day. Um, it looks like Jacob messed up his scheduling and and he ended up working. Um, so we'll uh, we'll work on that. But he's a he's a he's a great player and you know great junior player as well. So he'll have some great insight for us. Um, a moment before we leave you for our sponsor, 3030 30 Tennis, uh, Mark Milne and 3030 uh, 30 over in Scotland are pioneering a shortened format of tennis where each game starts at 3030 30 to increase pressure points, uh, make tennis more exciting for the consumer, and overall just make every point matter more. Yeah, it's great for practice and for uh, real-life matches. Um, so try it out um, and report your feedback feedback back to Mark. Um, we'll leave the link in the podcast bio, as well as share on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Before we leave you, uh, check out our new Instagram page, add around the net post, um, you know, weekly posts, uh, interact with us, ask any questions, especially with Coy coming on this weekend, if there's any questions that you want to ask him. But as always, enjoy the rest of your week. I've been George Barford. I'm Jacob Andress.
1: I'm Chip Moore. And always remember to go around the net post.